looking at a guy out here hollering my name when last year I spent more money on spilt liquor in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Episode 64, Tell Me Where to Turn, what I think is going to be a very special, special episode. Oh yeah? This is one I've looked forward to literally all week long. <laughs> since Tuesday about <laughs> 8, eight uh, or I guess 9.30? Yeah, since Tuesday at 9 central time, I've been looking forward to recording this episode. Well, I could tell you're excited because you're wearing pants. I, I, I haven't seen you wear pants in like... I don't know if I've ever seen you wear pants. Well, I told you when I got here, I thought we'd be recording outside in the elements, so I, I layered up a little bit. Yeah, the, and I get here and we're in the we're just in the kids' lounge. Hey, listen, there's there's a certain degree that when I walk outside and it's just one of those things you kind of know. And I walked outside tonight and I knew it wasn't happening out there tonight. It's only like fifty. I was I think it's like in the high forties now. No. We're all the way down to 48. So then then to juxtapose you, we've got Point Break Dave on Skype wearing a some type of muscle shirt. <laughs> it's, a, it's a muscle undershirt. I think we clarified that. So so I, what I want to know is, Dave, why do you have on a muscle shirt? It's not a it's muscle shirt. Um, it's just a it's an undershirt. I I am in the uh, hotel and I took off my nice polo shirt that I wore to work. And so who wears? Wait a minute. Who wears an undershirt with no sleeves? Does that defeat the purpose of the undershirt? No. This guy does. Glenn's hand slowly goes go. up. Dude, if you have a uh, sometimes depending on the shirt, undershirt like sleeves can get all bunchy under your like golf True. shirt. True. So you just go Fat Arm Friday, man. <laughs> That's right. So maybe we go around the horn here and let's all say what we think the purpose of an undershirt is. So Dave, we'll start with you. It's just keeping, like, usually, like, the golf shirt fabric isn't as comfy as the nice, like, cotton undershirt fabric. So it's to keep that shirt off of you. I think I'm... Pretty well docked with Dave on this. Okay. Because well, I think it's a Dave. comfort thing, and it's also, it's what I've always done, so it's kind of, it's just called the way it is. All right, well, I'm going to blow both your minds here, and and I'm going to be a deviant. I'm going to deviate. I think that the undershirt is to keep you from sweating into your regular shirt, hence the need for sleeves. Because if I didn't need the extra sweat protection i just wouldn't wear an undershirt at all See, i don't sweat a lot so that's not really a factor for me like i can't recall a situation in business shirt polo shirt or whatever that i was like oh man i'm all, I'm all pitted out over here wow that you haven't gotten as many tight spots as i've gotten into. i guess not. not not near as many salad situations <laughs> I guess I'm a bit of a sweater, but yeah, I I would not wear uh, an undershirt if it wasn't for sweat. Mm. Do you go with the? I go with the V-neck. Do you go with the V-neck or the crew neck? 
Just whatever regular is. Well, regular has sleeves. Well, okay, regular, <laughs> regular, but non-sleeved. Yeah. And I have to like seek these things out, and when I find them, I buy like four times as many as I really need, so that I have them for years to come. So I thought this was something you had to make yourself. You can actually buy this. Oh yeah, but they're they're not easy to find. Dave may disagree, but I'm, I don't. I'm going to bet right now. Dave, don't answer. Dave made his own undershirt. <laughs> no, this is store bought. This was well store bought. These are <laughs> when you bought it from the store. Did it have sleeves on? <laughs> it, it did not. I got them from. I ordered them off Amazon, and they come without sleeves. Do any of you guys still ever wear shirts that you manually cut the sleeves off of? I have a. I only have one. I have a John Force shirt with the sleeves <laughs> cut off of it that I'll I'll wear. I, I don't think I really have any in the rotation anymore. I used to have some that I worked out in that yeah, were old shirts. That I, no sleeves at the men. Oh, the, yeah, you got I to. I think the real thing we've discovered here is Tommy 2.0 and all his having to have sleeves has never discovered the deodorant aisle at the grocery store. Because <laughs> that takes care of that problem. Oh. Oh, believe me, I need, I'm the guy that needs that prescription strength deodorant, man. What, what they sell at the store, it doesn't do nothing for me. Goodness. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm, you got to do more than that, whatever that Axe body spray stuff that you're promoting. use Axe body spray, sir. Uh, every time I come over here, you're like, hey, look, they got a new scent. It's a banana tree. It's awesome. He just pushes you up against the wall. No, guys, put this on. <laughs> Girls will just come right up to you. <laughs> well, as long as we're as long as we're talking about uh, shirts without sleeves on it, I do have. Uh, tell me if you guys have any of these. I do have any of the douchebag pool boy bro tank tops. Do you have any of those? No. It's funny that you mentioned that. Uh oh. I, well, I bought one a few weeks back, just kind of as a bit. And it now it's my favorite shirt. No, I actually haven't worn it yet. I found it at Walmart. Wal- Walmart? Walmart. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh, my. Well, listen, Dave, pull back the curtain a little bit. This guy walks in here. I know he's getting ready for Ric Flair. He pulls out two, like, airplane-style bottles of Fireball, just downs the first one, and then's about halfway through the second one. I like it. He's trying to live that nature boy life. I like it. <laughs> Jet riding, kiss stealing, wheeling and dealing. <laughs> and now and now the uh, now the term Walmart's eluding him. So Walmart, five dollar tank top that says waits before dates on it. <laughs> so I don't know where I'm gonna when or where I'm gonna actually uh, to wear that, but it's in the closet and then you guys follow NASCAR, don't you? Very closely. It was near ninety degrees out at the Texas Motor Speedway on Sunday. I believe it was the hottest race ever at TMS. In November. Yeah, and I think it was also maybe, I don't know if it was Saturday or Friday, but we had the hottest November day ever Mm -hmm. recorded either. I can't imagine how miserable that must have been. And if you're going to a race in November, I think your expectation is you're wearing a nice light jacket during the event. And I could tell it was going to be warm, but I just didn't anticipate it would be that warm. So, speaking of tank tops... I'm now the proud owner of a Kyle Busch tank top <laughs> that I wore on Sunday to the race. In the 94 degrees. Yeah. 
Did you have to purchase this at a trailer at the race? I did. It cost me 25 bucks. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Worth every penny. So is it a... Uh, is it an M&M's themed or a... Uh, yeah, it has, okay. a, it has a small M&M's logo right. on it. Big 18 on it? Yeah. All right. Not oh, not too big, though. It's not too loud. It's very it's a, it's a subtle It's tank. tasteful. Yeah. I mean, I might wear it to Cheddar's or something. <laughs> it's the tasteful... Scratch kitchen. It's the tasteful NASCAR tank top. <laughs> so everybody send us your sleeveless and tank thoughts. The only... Yeah, maybe that'll be... That'll be a good topic for next week. The only good tank top is all red and says blaster on the front. (laughs) And you have that shirt too, don't you? It has sleeves. Yeah, it does. You just take those sleeves off. We can make that work. So before we... uh, Uh, Okay. What's going on in this commercial? I don't know. I mean, see, something I'm... Partially interested. It looks in. pretty appealing. Yeah, to be honest that's one thing you. that looks okay. All right, as a sidebar. No, I was going to ask you. Um, so you know, sometimes after um, there's a tragedy or something, you kind of have to ask yourself, like, how long is too long, or or when is it soon enough to move on, kind of a thing. Oh God. How long do we need to wait, tastefully wait, before we can go to a Cinnabon again? <laughs> <laughs> after the news of today. <laughs> oh, um, I feel like I missed. I don't know the Cinnabon news. I think as long as you go there and just whatever you're eating, you make sure to eat it right in front of somebody where they can see you eating it. Just then block eyes with them while you're, you're okay. It. Dave, you don't have this news. You ever heard the Louis C.K. news today? No. Oh my! Oh no! Go ahead, Tommy. <laughs> I'm just gonna advise Dave. When we get done with the podcast, you may want to Google Louis C.K. Oh no! Turns out, turns out, um, he is next on the list of. Um... Okay, we got Kevin Spacey up at the top. Well, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, Weinstein is Weinstein, Weinstein. Then probably right well, below him, Spacey, and then below him is now Louis C.K. Is, is Cosby still in this ranking, or is it? Eh, it's I mean, been it's too been long. a while. His Apparently, crimes don't Louis count C.K. Anymore. had an interesting bit. A bit that I'm actually not entirely familiar with that being a thing. Like I'm getting a, a look from Glenn. Like in front of people? Do so you do that? No, but okay. I'm just trying to figure out which part. So apparently Louis C.K. would have like a nice set and then go back to his hotel room, maybe invite some co-workers, ladies, other female comedians up there, and they'd just be sitting on a couch, not too different than what Glenn and I are doing right now, and... And he'd be like, hey, you mind if I just uh, go ahead and take care of things here real fast? And then before they'd really have a chance to say yes or no, he'd just start going to town. Huh. On himself. On himself. So would that be weird, like, if I just started doing that right now while we were all sitting here? (laughs) If I just kind of gave you, like, a real cursory, like, hey... I think there's enough color rush going on on the (laughs) Oh, there'd be a color rush going on, believe me. (laughs) Wow, we've lost the few listeners we had. <laughs> so, so wrestling, huh? Well, I just wanted to, I just was, it was just topical. I thought we might want to get into it. Then I, I've got some good news for you guys. Okay. So this morning about 8.30, I went into the bathroom at work. Pull back the curtain a little bit. Today's Thursday. You have a curtain in your bathroom? Shower curtain, no. Uh, it, today's Thursday. But today's your Friday. 
Today was my Monday because Whoa. for the first time this week, we had success in the bathroom. <laughs> we were going on four and a half days of nothing. Wow. Can you imagine what that must have been like? I don't... I think I would... I, I might die. Dude, I was... It was getting pretty dicey. Were you about to I was about purchase to, the device? I wasn't going to purchase the device, but I was about to have to stop by CVS and purchase something to expedite. <laughs> I went digging through the medicine cabinet last night. Thought that was going somewhere else. And <laughs> I went digging through the medicine cabinet last night, and I found some stuff in there, but it had expired two years ago, and I was like, man. That just means it's less potent. I didn't want to risk it. So no, it just wouldn't have I wrote it. I well. was going to write it out one more day, and then things finally worked out oh, this morning. But. You didn't just go to Wendy's and say, how much chili do you have back there? You get a Wendy's chili and then go deadlift? It'll happen within an hour. <laughs> What's funny is I did squats, which I was like a guarantee. Nothing. Wow. Pre-workout stimulant. That's another good good way to... NO2? Yeah. Explode? Yeah. <laughs> Emphasis on the second part of the name. Uh, it can be. Hey, oh, so anyways, on the opposite I, spectrum, you had a streak that was broken on the good side. I may have had a streak that got broken on the bad side. What's that? Point Break Dave may have had a run-in with the highway patrol. Oh, no. Oh, yes. You haven't had much of a streak, though. I feel like this happens to you more often than most people. No, I, I get pulled over, but I've been five for five on not getting tickets the last... So, the last time I got a ticket was probably six, seven years ago. But, uh, yeah. And I'll go ahead and say this. Not that I ever try to talk my way out of it, but this... Uh, this fine officer was certainly not in the mood to even discuss a warning or anything like that. It was, <laughs> all right, um, you're going to get a citation, and here we go. So, but, but Highway Patrol is probably a lot more likely to write you a ticket than just like your yeah. average spare cop, right? Because they're pretty much only out there to write tickets. Yeah, I it did have one kind of funny moment, because so 35 from Dallas to Austin... Yeah, a lot of it is 75 is the speed limit. So I'm driving down here. It's early in the morning. There's not many people on the road. So I'm I'm moving. So he pulls me over and, you know, he comes up and does the usual, like, you know, you know how fast you were going? And I said, no. And he said, well, I clocked you at 88 miles per hour. What? <laughs> and you said, look, if I was going 88, you wouldn't have been able to even see me. <laughs> I'd have already been on my way back to the future. And I said, I said, uh, I was like, oh, and he's like, yeah, it's a 70 mile an hour zone. And for some reason, what are you doing going 88? For some reason, I thought the fact that I thought it was 75 and I was only going 13 over would make it That's better. That's a dumb thing to say. I didn't say That's it. A rookie move. He just said it's 70 miles an hour here. And I was just like, oh, is it 70 here? And he looked at me. He's like. Yeah, it just changed. It was 65 a mile ago. You <laughs> <laughs> said, well, I thought it was a trash can. <laughs> so what's the what's the cutoff where they just take you straight to jail? Oh, that, I think it's like is 25. It more than 
Yeah, okay. I think it's 25 or more. They've got the ability. So, but, but well, if they he's have going, the ability no matter what. If he's going 88 to 65, that's pretty. That's getting pretty close. Yeah, so now I had to like... Well, you can't get off with a warning if you're going 88 and a 70. No, They're not going to give you a warning They weren't having that. any of it. No. So what are you doing going 88? Dude, there's no one else on the road. Doesn't matter. What time of day was this? Uh, It's like 5 a.m. I'm a professional driver. I mean, there was nobody on the road, the residential streets here. I mean, I was only doing like 47. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a beating, man. I had to go and... Like, to, you have to send in the thing to, like, take defensive driving. So I had to, like, go get this, like, money order, because you have to pay them, even if you're going to do defensive driving. Then had to go get a notary, because they have to, like, seal it, like, as you sign the ticket to mail it in. It was a, it's been a pain. So did you get the ticket this week? Uh, I got it last week, last drive. Okay. Yeah. Man. Well, you should just expense it, I guess. Yeah. See how that goes. Just put it on the old expense report. Well, we got bigger things. Do we need that that complicated process. I mean, in this day and age, can't the cop just pull out some sort of Apple Pay device and you just swipe <laughs> yeah. a card and he just pr- insert your chip? <laughs> he prints Boy. out a nice ticket slash receipt and you're on It'd your be way. Good for them. I would have done that on the spot if I could have. Yeah. Well, the other annoying thing was I was like. Looking at all the hoops you had to jump through, but you can go like to the court and just take care of it. Like basically do this at the court so you don't have to do the money order and all that. And I was like, well, you know, it's the court was like a mile off 35. So I was like, well, I'll just drive on my way back, you know, take a little detour and do that. So I call them today, like figuring out their office hours tomorrow when I'm driving back. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're not open tomorrow. It's Veterans Day. I was like, oh. Whoa. So first you disrespect the highway patrol, and then you just crap on veterans. That's, I did I, neither of those, sir. It's not a very classy thing to do. I just now learned tomorrow was Veterans Day. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was Monday, but what do I know? They said, maybe they're yeah. lying to me. They said it was tomorrow. Well, they may be taking a long weekend, too. Yeah. Well. All right, so we ready to get into why we're gathered here? Woo! <laughs> I think we should do so it. If the if you weren't tipped off by the intro, so we are here to discuss the Nature Boy Thirty for Thirty. It aired this Tuesday on ESPN. Uh, I'll have you know it was the highest rated program on cable TV that day. Oh wow! One point eight million viewers took it in. Okay. It was uh, directed by a gentleman by the name of Roy Karpf. Bless him. He uh, he spent over two years working on this documentary. He uh, interviewed Ric Flair uh, in two kind of marathon sessions over the period of two years. He also interviewed 46 other uh, people from Rick's life, predominantly wrestlers, also conducted the first ever interview uh, with Ric Flair's first wife. Really? Yes. Uh, so that was the first time she's ever been interviewed f- uh, on camera for anything. She was on much it quite less a bit. A, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I do feel like that she did. We'll we'll get into it blow by blow, but I do feel like she did connect some of the dots as far as the uh, the difference between Ric Flair the man and Ric Flair the wrestler. Yeah, which Ric, Ric Flair the failed father. Richard Flair the guy who couldn't make it through one year at the University of Minnesota, and Ric Flair the wrestler. Um, but before we before we get started, I wanted to ask though, 
early memories of Ric Flair from you before the documentary. Growing up, did you have awareness of Ric Flair, the Nature Boy? I did. Um, but my wrestling viewing experience probably just went from, say, the mid-80s until early 90s. Which was his heyday. True. Um, so I definitely had exposure to him. Um, but he was that whole time he was with NWA, though. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the second tier Right. I mean, it was on TV, but it wasn't the main. It wasn't the most popular it wasn't stuff. The big so you kind of had to had to seek it out. But I knew who he was. Um, I hated him, and he was the the sports comparison would for me. He was the Larry Bird of wrestling. Interesting. Like I hated Larry Bird as a basketball player as a kid, and as I grew up, I was like. You know, I really shouldn't have hated Larry Bird. He's, he's pretty awesome. He's kind of awesome. And then now, as I've you know, I'm older. I look back at Ric Flair stuff, and I'm like, how did I not like this? This is the this is the best. And I, you know, wanted him to lose every match, and you know, I thought his whole shtick was kind of dumb. You know, as a, like a ten year old, I just didn't buy it. I was just into you know other wrestlers, but oh, definitely, definitely had the exposure to it. That's funny. My notes about that are exactly the same as yours like I, I if i said what i wrote down i would just be repeating exactly what you said <laughs> the the one defining moment for me that i remember vividly and i bet dave remembers this too because we were we were pretty locked Royal in Royal Rumble 1992. 92. <laughs> so so this was this was right when rick flair had come to the wwf so so he had his kind of his nwa you know jim crockett his career before he finally comes to the WWF and it was the same thing. We hated him. I hated Ric Flair. Didn't just couldn't stand him. Well, he come the Royal Rumble that year, the 1992 Royal Rumble. The winner gets the world championship belt. Like yeah. that's not a typical, but the I don't remember what happened in the storyline to where the title was available. But but the winner got the belt. And this was the first. I don't remember who actually ordered it, but this was like the first pay per view we'd ever watched. If I, yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, for the weeks leading up to the show, you know, Ric Flair would come out, and he had Bobby the Brain Heenan and Mr. Perfect, you know, all these other people that we didn't like, and was talking about how he's going to win the Royal Rumble, and and like I was actually afraid he was going to win. I I was did not want this guy to be my world champion, and I remember he drew the third entry in the Royal Rumble of thirty people, which means. There's no chance he's going to win. He's yeah. coming out third. And I can remember jumping out of my chair, screaming, yes, 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 when he came out third because I knew he wasn't going to win. Nobody, right. you know, if you're going to win, you got to be at least 15 or later. And yeah, then. That's science talking. And then he's staying in and he's staying in. And I'm thinking to myself, well, surely he's not going to win. Surely this isn't going to happen. Hogan gets in there. Sid gets in there. There's no way he's going to win. And then through a bunch of nonsense that happens, he ends up winning the Royal Rumble, and I was devastated. Like, I was so mad, because the guy that I hated the most had won the Royal Rumble. And yeah, now I look back at it, and I was like, how did I not love him? Like, how is he not the greatest thing ever? Right. I feel like he just, his bit, I mean, obviously he was a heel, so, you know, as a kid, you're, you know, programmed to like like the baby faces. But it also just doesn't translate well. Like when you're, you know, 10, 11 years old, you don't care about Rolexes and women. And, and having 25 women and Space Mountain and all that stuff. It doesn't, like, we're, we're like, what's he talking about? 
But well, I will tell you though, my my six year old and I are going back and watching old WWE stuff, and he loves him. He's six, yeah. and he thinks he's great. So, so the documentary kicks off, and and there's a little bit about about Flair and his parents to start out. That was my first note. I had no idea that he was adopted. That he was adopted. Yeah. That's breaking I news. I didn't either. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And my first note, and I didn't take copious notes, but my first note that I took was. Are there any bigger like mismatches between adoptive parents and their you know adoptive child than this one? <laughs> like two just completely it appear to be highly intelligent because I think they were in the medical field. They were like a couple of just nerdlinger squares and a guy who wants to show his dingus <laughs> to everybody and yell woo <laughs> woo. <laughs> like that did not match up. And it was kind of that part was kind of funny as he talked about it as a you know as a kid and in college and stuff, and, it, and then it was kind of sad when he got older and had all this success and they come to see his you know ten million dollar mansion or whatever and they just kind of act like it's yeah they're not impressed yeah it's kind of like the the Ricky Bobby syndrome a little bit there you know it's just a little bit always wanting to make his daddy happy yeah. But I think they said his parents, like, throughout his whole career, came to a total of, what, three matches? Yeah. Yep. Something like that. It's unbelievable. So they talked. They touched on a little bit of his, uh, his college days, which didn't last very long, but there was one pretty funny anecdote. Did this ever happen to Glenn in college? I'm going to say a pretty confident <laughs> no before you get to it. He's standing in the window of the frat house, completely nude. <laughs> No. Screaming at girls walking below. That never happened? No. I almost fell off the balcony one time, but that the first part you said, that, that never happened. Oh, man. If I get into stand-up comedy like 15 years from now, somebody will probably say that I did that. But, but you promise you didn't. I'm telling you right now, on these official airwaves, that did not happen. But he had a little bit of a background in football, and it, it kind of sounded like, interestingly enough, he might have not had the lunch pail out a lot of times when he was working, or when he was playing in college. It sounded like he didn't particularly enjoy talking about practice. No. He didn't particularly not. enjoy putting in the work. They did. I feel like maybe it was before college, maybe it was in high school. They mentioned all the thing he was things he was involved in. You know, he played football. He did this, and then they just mentioned like offhand, like, "Oh, and he was also a good wrestler." And I was like, "No way!" <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. I'll tell you one thing. Do you think it was like he was doing amateur wrestling, except he was like strutting and trying to put people <laughs> in the figure four, and <laughs> like, "Sir, this is not how this works at all." You did get. You have to get the most compromising <laughs> position possible. We don't need. Why are you grabbing the microphone? It did seem like a uh, young, uh, young Ric Flair didn't have a whole lot of follow through in anything because obviously college, you know, he skips out on that pretty quickly. It doesn't sound like he was, you know, like you said, real uh, engaged in the uh, getting ready for football games, the practice part. And then even when he gets into the pro wrestling, when Vern Gagne is training him. He quit that like four or five different times. 
Well, we heard that story. I was yeah, that was my next thing. I was yeah, I was fascinated. Now, now we got to remember though, this is back in the day when, you know, you took you drank water, you were soft. You know, every every True. sport was the the goal was to just make it as miserable as possible to make a apparently make a man out of you. I didn't, I don't know how that works. It was to turn you into a really absent father. Apparently, the idea. Apparently so. But be a world champion. So what did you think about that stairwell drill? I think I'd have been out by about flight two. <laughs> You'd have been out as soon as I climbed on your shoulders. <laughs> yeah. Once they said, hey, so you're going to carry this guy, I'd be like, no, I'm not. I'm going to go get an accounting degree. But yeah, for those who didn't get to watch the watch the episode, when he goes into the, uh, the training... Uh, Vern Gagne's wrestling training school. They he they would have him put a guy on his shoulders like in a fireman's carry, and then just head up like f- multiple flights of stairs. Of the twenty one flights, twenty one right. flights of stairs with a guy on his back, and then they would switch. I guess you'll run back down, switch, and then do it the other way, and just make him do it over and over again until they 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 couldn't stand anymore. They were f- falling down. There's bruises all over their arms from hitting stairs. You know, just. Yeah, I guess I think well, the last part. Just think of the most exhausting thing they could make you do. The last part after the, you know, carrying each other up and down and doing all this other stuff was, uh, like, you know, a guy would grab the feet and you do like a wheelbarrow like up and down the stairs, and that's what he was saying. By that point, they were just like collapsing and hitting their faces on the stairs. Yeah, and bruises all over the face. Yeah, yeah, they they. They had some kind of rinky-dink ring in this dungeon, and they would just make them hit the ropes over and over again so hard that they the skin's coming off of their backs from hitting the ropes. So Glenn uh, may not uh, know all this because he's not quite into the deep pro wrestling history, but in those days, and I think they briefly touch on it, like it was uh, the wrestling term is kayfabe, which means... Like, the storyline, like, you live that out. Like, the fans aren't supposed to know that it's all, you know, all a plan. And back, like, when Ric Flair was breaking in, they wouldn't, like, new wrestlers, they wouldn't even smarten them up that, you know, you were working with the other guy. Like, they would get in the ring for the first time and kind of still think it might be real. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what Rick even mentioned, that that's what happened to him in his first match. His very first one. He's out there, and they're yeah, they're they haven't exactly told him what's going to happen when he gets out there, which that that just to me just blows my mind. Yeah, that's so, so crazy. He, so he quits the first time, and then it's what's his name, Vern Gagne, yeah. goes goes to his house, and then slaps him across the face and knocks him to the ground. Yeah, tells him to get in the car, <laughs> and he's like, okay, back for more punishment. So then he he trains, he gets going with his career, and then. Somebody asked him to get into an airplane. That's right. Why? Well, I, I noted too, just from the early Rick career shots, he was kind of fat when he started, which was surprising to me. I never pictured him pretty much before his plane incident. No one else has ever successfully used a plane crash to get into CrossFit <laughs> like Ric Flair did. Can we? And I wanted to interject this at some point. Now seems like a good time. So. Obviously, we know his whole gimmick and his whole persona. And the the documentary started with what was that talk show? Is like Sally Sally Jesse Raphael. It starts with her introducing like the sexiest man in pro wrestling. 
let's let's have a little shoot here. <laughs> Ric Flair, not a good looking dude. <laughs> he's got messed up teeth. He's got a kind of yeah, a funny face. So, uh, my wife is not really familiar with who Ric Flair is or anything. She didn't watch this, but afterwards, or the next day, I was watching some YouTube clips and just kind of talking to her about it. And the first, I showed her one like minute, minute and a half speech, rant, whatever, that he went on. And that was the first thing that she said was, so this guy is like the world champion and a millionaire. He never got his teeth fixed. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't. Think he's a matinee idol. Hey, he's a nature boy, man. Come he on, made it work. No, there's no doubt about that. So then, um, yeah, they get in this plane. I had done a little bit of research about the plane crash, but he kind of glosses over it. But he says that the plane didn't have enough fuel in it. Is that true? Well, yes, but there's a reason it didn't have enough fuel. So the the promoter tried to cram too many wrestlers in the plane and they're all heavier than the average human being it's happened happened once it's happened a thousand times (laughs) so the plane the pilot decided that in order to make the plane the appropriate weight they decided to dump fuel and they did they didn't (laughs) he didn't calculate the fact that they would also use more fuel because they were running really heavy (laughs) so they ran out of gas so you don't do you think they so yeah that they drew up like a long equation, <laughs> or they just kind of emptied it out? Yeah, and, yeah that's probably why, good. Isn't that what we, what we find? Why were the bushwhackers flying the plane? Yeah, exactly. What in the world? But he was out for six years after that plane crash. They 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 don't touch over how much no, time passed. Crazy. Yeah, and when he came back, it was a totally different story. So. He's he's fully bought into the gimmick when he comes back. He's Ric Flair, the nature boy. He's changed his hair to the, you know... Slim down. Yeah, slim down. He's gotten in ridiculous cardiovascular shape because I guess, you know, as when you're coming back from an injury like that. And he lost a lot of weight, too. So, I mean... Well, from the crash and after he broke his back and he couldn't work out. And yeah. It, I think he's... He got so down he to lost 180. Like 90 pounds, yeah, something like that. Yeah, he got like down that. to 180 pounds at one point. So, but now he's back, and now he's, he's as they say, he's living the gimmick now. Indeed. He bought his own limousine to drive around in, and apparently he didn't have a driver for the limousine. He just bought a limousine because he thought that would be like what you're supposed to do, so he used to just pay random college kids like 20 bucks to drive him around. <laughs> Why not? Hey. <laughs> to help Play him to live out bit. his gimmick. That's funny. But apparently he, uh, it was kind of at this point when he started to really have a lot of, uh, not not issues because he, he functioned throughout it, but he used to be a big fan of the, uh, of the strong drink, if you will. Indeed. And how. <laughs> so his li- liquor consumption was estimated during his heyday, which, you know, really lasted for 20 years, that he would drink... T- Ten beers a day, and then at night would drink five to six cocktails a day, seven days a week for 20 years. And he would drink the beer while I was driving, too. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I just drink the beer in the car. So, you know, I don't know if you know, but back then, so they would wrestle 
it's all territorial. So they'd have a, you know, a regional territory. Mm-hmm. They would wrestle and then they would get in a car, rental car, get in their own car and immediately just drive to the next stop. It was, it was a every night proposition. Do you think there's any chance he wore a seatbelt? No, oh, no. <laughs> He's Ric Flair. He's got eight empty Coors cans in the back seat. Just, he survived a plane crash. You think just, he's putting that yeah, belt on? Drinking the Coors, throwing the, the can in the back, and rolling. The only belt he was wearing was the regional champion's <laughs> belt. What also is brutal about wrestling back in those days is, I mean, okay, you know, it's probably not football, but those guys are still taking a beating, and they would, they would do four, five hundred shows a year. They would wrestle every night and twice on the weekends. And, yeah, and then travel in between, man. It, like, I'm sure it was better for Flair because he was a top guy, but, man, that that takes a beating on you. I would just say, how about this? For Here's a hypothetical for you, Glenn, okay? For, for, next, for the next year, starting today, you don't have to travel anywhere out of the ordinary. All you have to do is... At one point during the day, for a year, you have to get on your couch, jump off your couch, and just land flat on your back on the floor oh. ten times a day for a year. Man. Could you do it? Would you do it? For how much money? Well, no, I'll pay you Ric Flair's, I'll pay you Ric Flair's salary. And all you have to do is you have to take a full, legit, yeah. flat back bump off your couch ten times a day, every day for a year, no matter what's going on. <laughs> Like even if I have like company over, I just have to climb on the couch and just has to happen sometime during the day. And no matter how bad you're hurting, no matter how sore you are, no matter how awkwardly you landed the day before, you got to take that bump ten times a day, every day for a year. Uh, I think I could do it. I think you learn the methods on YouTube first and master it. Maybe Vern Gagne could. Maybe so. That was come teach you. That was the other thing. And they talk about this later, so I won't get into comparing like Flair and Hogan. But Flair, Flair got in there and worked, man. He wasn't a stay on your feet and throw punches and not take a beating. Flair was in there taking a beating every single night. Oh yeah, he he was notorious for taking taking hard shots. So one hour matches too. Oh yeah, like that's something that I didn't remember that there. Being a match that would last an hour. That used to be a big like NWA bit back in the day. Like Vince was smarter than that for the most part with WWF. Like he knew what people wanted to see. They wanted to see the hype and then you know get it in and out. And yeah. Done. Well, what? Now they did do some well, Iron like Man. We all do. Oh yeah. Nobody wants an hour long match. I get color rush <laughs> football games to watch. Now they did. You know they did do some Iron Man matches at pay per views, but though the NWA would regularly do these. You know, time limit draws and things that to kind of further that. Do you think that would go over well today with people's attention spans? And no, I was going to say I can barely I can barely pay attention to our podcast for <laughs> an hour. I, I can't imagine doing a match. I went or watching a match. I went last night and watched. I didn't get all the way through it because I had to go do something else. But I watched some of the Flair Ricky Steamboat. Go to Cinnabon. The Flair Ricky Steamboat matches they were talking about. Man, the one with just the repeated chest slaps Dude. back and forth. It's so great. They beat the S out of each other, man. That was a Ric Flair calling card was the chop. Oh, yeah. I've been and usually that followed by a woo. I still 
on occasion will my kids do not get it but i'll when you're just wrestling around or whatever i will give them a chest slap throw, throw the chop knock them back on the onto a cushion or something when we were talking about his alcohol intake i can't believe i forgot this there was another thing that happened <laughs> twice a day every day for those 20 years this was the most unbelievable and the thing about it was he prefaced it by realistically and go ahead, Tommy. Well, no, I was actually, I was going to get to that in a oh. second. I was talking about that when he told the doctor that he he uh, had two Louis C.K. incidents a day. <laughs> he had two sets a day. Yeah. Two comedy sets. Two comedy sets a day along with his alcohol. No, but, but what Dave's getting at is they asked him how many women he thought he'd been with. And he thinks about it for a minute, does some math, gets out the, uh, the same sheet of paper they calculated the fuel mileage on. <laughs> And says, 10,000 women he's been with. It's so insane. So here's a hypothetical hypothetical for you. I'm out. Yourself included, you and then every other guy you know today (laughs) added up. Is it even close to 10,000? No. Every person you know in the world. No. It's not even close. No, not even close. I don't even understand how how that is possible. I don't, man, I don't know. Well, there's got to be a lot of Waffle House waitresses mixed in there. Yeah, I think that is just, you're, you're, you're adding up on a, a given night in Wichita that there's like just five that come back to the hotel room and you're just counting all of them, whether you remember exactly what happened or not. I think that's what that where that comes from. To get to that number, you're... You know, like it's basketball. You're getting your 35 points by volume shooting. You're not just just waiting for the good shots. You're compromising quality for quantity yes. is what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. You're not you're not working the clock or anything like that. It's just yeah. Just back and forth as quick as we can go. So, okay. I think it was right around that time in the documentary where they were telling the story about him on the plane. I think Sting was telling that Sting story. Sting was that telling right? the story. So he comes out of the bathroom and just his nice loafers and the robe, and that's it, and pulling the robe open. And then the quote that cracked me up was, and he, he was really erect. <laughs> and the fact that that was the really just cracked me up. I was like, what does that mean? Didn't he open his robe and say, hey, can you guys handle this? <laughs> he did. I have, I have that, uh, I, as you can see, I have that written down right there in quotes. Really <laughs> erect. Really erect. <laughs> Dave did not misquote. Oh, that, I almost lost it. So they, ta- they interviewed Sting. He was not in makeup. No. But there were other wrestlers that were. Some that were and some that weren't, as they had their little one-on-ones. Yes. In fact, what I'd like to do is uh, I've compiled a list of, of not all the guests, but the notable ones that I think we would both click with. And I've divided them into two groups. <laughs> those that look like they're doing okay, and those that do not look like they're doing okay. <laughs> so I thought we could quickly go through that list. All right. Maybe you guys could guess. All right, Gl- but, uh, Glenn, do you want to take the first one? Well, the first one was, was Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I mean, 
thought he just looked old. I thought he was, he, he was doing okay. Yeah, yeah no, I fine. thought he looked like... I. In fact, I thought he looked better than almost anybody okay. that they talked to. Well, I thought first, he looked tremendous. First off, Ric Flair not doing well. <laughs> he looks like he's, his skin is falling off of his face. <laughs> well, that's a good good segue. So, speaking of skin falling off his face, what about Arn Anderson? Oh, man. Arn, Arn wasn't doing good 20 years ago. <laughs> Arn looked terrible. Like, what was going on with his skin? You know what's funny is I want to say Arn is still, like, backstage. Like, he's an agent or something in the WWE. I think he's still working. Not in ring, but, yeah, he looks terrible. Certainly not not working as a dermatologist. (laughs) Um... Who was it from the Road Warriors? Well, they that was the to? next one I had. Animal from the Road Warriors. My yeah, that's Hey Glenn. I had a note of why is Animal still in full makeup? Yeah, I guess I guess maybe he's never shown his face without paint on. I I didn't understand that. Why would we care? Hey, Glenn. Yes. Do you also know why your uh why Hawk from the Road Warriors wasn't there? Did he die? Yes. Is he with Chester Bennington? He's he's arm wrestling China right now. <laughs> How did he die? Ah, heart attack? No, his was drug related. Yeah. He had a lot of drug problems. He was surprisingly so, young too. Yeah, so I think one of those guys was the dad of a uh, NFL linebacker. Boy, that is something there's no way we'll ever be able to figure out if that's true. I think or not. One of them was the father of one James Laurinaitis. We'll have to go offline and check that out. We don't want to. We don't want to bog down too much. Interesting. But I, yeah, I wondered why he's in makeup. It's not like he's still wrestling, to my knowledge. But I thought he looked great, though. I actually have him in my looking good category. I thought animal. I mean, the, yeah, he the makeup, no, but no, I thought animal looked good. Seemed like he's still getting a little good, a little car, cardio action. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought he was looking good. Um, what about Sting? You know, he's almost 60 years old. Yeah, that was not enough to get him out of the oh, not no. looking good oh, really? category. See, I didn't think Sting looked bad. No, I'm a little worried about Sting. Something looked very unhealthy about Sting. Uh, I don't know, I think he's like 59. Sting also seemed one of the least interested in the whole interview thing, because he did tell that one funny story, but... You know, I don't know, man. I don't know, I don't know where Sting was coming from. Well, I think Sting like has like a ministry now, so... Talking about so maybe he was trying to soft pedal. Yeah, it. talking about Ric Flair being really erect probably wasn't what he wanted to do. Yeah. Well, speaking of soft pedaling it, Triple H, who's now in executive management of the WWE, looks great by the way. Dude. Definitely in the looking great category. I mean, it's Triple H. He could not help himself but to drop f bombs. Like he can't even talk like a normal story. He's telling about how he's trying to help Flair like conquer some of his demons and alcohol and he like either was dropping an F bomb or getting catching himself short of saying an F bomb like every other word. <laughs> like this guy works in corporate America now and he he can't sit down in front of a camera and just tell a, a somewhat serious part of the story. Listen. And what's his actual name? Paul Paul Levesque. Is that back to Dave's WWE experience from before? Oh yeah. Talking to it, don't, don't they say you refer to him as Paul? Yeah. They refer to yeah. him as Paul. But I will okay. tell you this, I will not I will not sit here and let Tommy disparage Triple H because he is the greatest of all time. I said he looked great. I just said he needs to watch the cussing. And there's so there's rumor that he's gonna 
he's going to be in ring for a match at WrestleMania. And at one of the, because he hasn't been wrestling. One of these WrestleManias is going to be his last match of all time. And I think it may be this one. And that has led Point Break Dave to have booked a hotel in New Orleans. Whoa. And I will officially be going. Did you check the proximity to the Harris Casino? Honestly, because it was New Orleans, the only thing I was checking is every hotel I'd type in the name and then haunted question mark because <laughs> I'm not messing around with that. Um, I'm sure this guy's on your list and this is not a doing well, not doing well question, but I, as I was watching this, I was looking at people's uh, comments on Twitter and saw that somebody had noted that people are underestimating how unique it is that the undertaker appeared for an interview like out of character for this yes that does not happen okay I, that's one thing i don't i know who, who that is but that that's it that I was weird to see him sitting there and they still have him billed as the undertaker <laughs> yeah even though he's just look, looking like i actually had him in my looking bad i hate to say it but he didn't look great either he's he looked like he needed old. some sleep you you can still be old and look like you're doing well and i'll get to that in a minute because well I, here I had Hulk. I think Hulk Hogan looked great. He did. He looked amazing. And I tell you what. Um, now was he wearing Hogan a gets, Gawker T-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> he was playing the American guitar <laughs> over the Gawker logo. No, but you know Hogan gets Hogan gets the same criticism that Garth Brooks gets from the ticket, which is that he has false humility sometimes. But I thought Hogan came off great. He really because did. He he was very self-deprecating. He basically admitted that he de- his matches were all the same. He didn't have the ability to do an hour-long match. He right. didn't, you know, he didn't really have to work hard at the wrestling part of it. He just did his, yeah. you know, his kind of his same gimmick every time. I think it was more that he was a showman and Ric yeah. Flair was an actual. But he wrestler. was very, very deferential to Rick and basically said Rick's way better than I am. And but they never just wrestled each other, right? Oh, they did in WCW. They never did when they were at the height of their okay. WWF glory. Okay. They But no, they had they had several run-ins in WCW. Okay. But it was kind of later when Yeah, it was past their prime. Or it's hard to say Hogan prime. was ever past his prime because you know, he he did stuff in WCW that was like the highest rated ever. I mean, but he was never Put that's on true. good matches. That that's not what he did. Rumor how long when they go ahead Dave. when they cross paths in WWF. You know that was what everyone thought was going to be the big dream match was Hogan Flair, and whatever pay per view it it may have been a WrestleMania. Yeah, it was WrestleMania eight that they were kind of building to. They did the match at at house shows, you know, non televised, and apparently just. Like the chemistry between the two of them, something it just didn't work, and then at the last minute, the last minute they changed it to Flair Macho Man, and I don't remember who Hogan fought, but yeah, they never, Sid. yeah, that's right, Psycho Sid. They never had the big, the big blow off WrestleMania match that everyone thought they would. So, I'll put you guys on the spot because I don't have an answer for this, but do you have a most memorable? Ric Flair match that comes to mind? Well, I mean, the 92 Rumble would be my yeah. all-time most memorable. What about just something that's just one-on-one? 
Boy, that's a tough one. And these are tough questions. It's no, a hard-hitting podcast. It's a hard-hitting it's a hard-hitting question. I will say one thing that I didn't know at the time, but I remember reading on online shortly after back when okay, so Flair went back to WCW and this was in the Goldberg era when he was just, you know, running up a 100 and 0 or whatever his streak got to. So, Glenn, do you know what the Goldberg finishing move is? Oh, I definitely do. Well, something Glenn does on a nightly basis. <laughs> uh, so the jackhammer. He has he has flair, and especially with people flair size, his bit was he'd get them up like in the suplex, and he'd kind of hold them up so they're vertical. And apparently, while he's you know he's holding flair up, flair like whispers in his ears, "Take it easy on me, kid. I'm really old." <laughs> and Goldberg started laughing and like almost dropped him because he started cracking up. Well, that was one thing that I think it was the matches between Flair and Steamboat. Yeah, that they had just good chemistry. I mean, the, the thing is choreographed as to who's going to win, but not every single step of the match is right. choreographed. And that's that's where the talent comes in. Right, they can work with each other and it not look like. They don't know and, what they're doing. And Flair could just give him like a look or just kind of, you know, nod his head one way or the other, just a hint on what to do next because he already had something in mind that he could play right into. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty, that was pretty fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. But no, I, I, it, I nothing's really coming to mind for a, for like a standout Flair okay. match. Terrible now, question. I, I take it back. Yeah. I mean, you know, have mercy on your soul. Speaking of uh, speaking of a, a couple of things that we missed from the show, so you know Ric Flair, known philanderer, he had a great quote when when they said, "Well, when you would get married, would you would you you know ever you know try to cut that out, you know, and and kind of you know basically go go straight for a while?" And he he set a time frame on that. He said, "Yeah, it would usually last for about how long? A day." One day, one day. <laughs> so he he took the that crinkled true love weights card <laughs> out of his wallet, and this, looked at it for one day, and then nah. And this thing just this just cracked me up. So when his first marriage is falling apart, he's already got a, a semi regular thing going with the lady that's going to ultimately be his second wife. Yeah, she is shacked up or not shacked up. She's being housed. Just a few miles down the road by Greg the Hammer Valentine <laughs> at his house. Oh. So Rick would, you know, whatever, leave his first wife and then run down, run down and uh, and visit uh, visit his new piece at Greg the Hammer Valentine. Yeah, and he couldn't even. Yeah, he would he would get home from the road and spend like a day with his wife and kids, and then just be like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't be here. You just can't handle it. No. I say that I say that at least once a week. Let's get into his terrible parenting though. Oh my gosh. Like he he was telling a story about his 16-year-old son pounding beers with a neighbor and like was saying it with such pride. I don't know. Yeah, that didn't turn out well. Well, he was either not there or tragically he just kind of became one of his son's best friends and yeah. best uh, party mate and not necessarily his father. Not not a good 
strong male role model. That in didn't life. that didn't end up well. Do you? No, it didn't. Do you know the controversy about that? No. About was his name Reed? Reed. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this was, you know, obviously a year or two afterwards. But then, uh, his daughter. Ashley, who is known as Charlotte Flair in wrestling, she's wrestling and she's making it, you know, fairly big in the WWE and she's feuding with this other girl named Paige. So they're in the ring cutting promos on each other and Charlotte says something about, you know, her legacy and she's like, you know, we're fighters, you know, we'll fight through this. And the other wrestler goes, well, your brother didn't have much fight in him, did he? What? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, like maybe a Whoa. year afterwards. And yeah, the you can't find that on the network. They've completely distanced from that. So that was somebody going way off script. Yeah, then. she yeah. she went into business for herself, as they say. Wow. So so Rick's older son, the one that's still with us, he wrestled too, though, right? Yeah. Because they never talked about that in the documentary. But I remember him wrestling. He didn't. Yeah. But he didn't seem he? to have much, many nice things. David Flair. Oh, he wasn't the junkyard dog. <laughs> That'd be a story. I mean, Ten thousand women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he worked. He worked. Uh, junkyard dog was one hundred percent. Just look at him. <laughs> he worked briefly as Hillbilly Jim. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. No, David. David Flair uh, wrestled too, but. Um, I don't think he had much of yeah, much of a career or much fun. How how could you li- live up to that when that's your well, dad? I mean, sounds like you need to go through a plane crash <laughs> to develop your character, <laughs> at least in that family. But well, yeah, what what just horrific parenting? That was one thing. Just like when we're when we're parents or we're you know you say your your parents say like oh I remember you know when I was that age you know don't make the mistakes I made and. He's like the opposite of like, man, I remember when I was 16, how much tea I had then. <laughs> just do everything. Just just destroy it. Yeah. It sounded like they were left alone a lot, too, uh, with access to alcohol. So that's never a good sign. Yeah. It was definitely the whole documentary was sadder than I expected it to be. Well, especially towards the end. Yeah. I mean, that's when it, it portrayed his human side as well as just going through his, well, his original or initial retirement, which he was crying. How many people were crying in the crowd? <laughs> Everybody was crying. And you know what's that so was, sad uh, is that, like, because I remember watching that. I watched his last match with Shawn Michaels, which was incredibly done. And then the next night, that was the pay-per-view, the next night on Raw... You know, they did a whole, like, tribute show to him, and he came out, and all the wrestlers came out of the back, and it was perfect. And then after that, like, he went to Ring of Honor Wrestling and TNA Wrestling, and it's all because he had he had debt. Like, he had to keep doing this stuff. Yeah. He, uh, cautionary tale there. Yeah. Guy that, that made a decent money and throughout his career. he ran Ric Flair Financial. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We covered that in episode which was not in the documentary or twenty one or whatever. I was kind of sad. No, they didn't cover the one year existence of Ric Flair Financial. Yeah, but I mean, I'm thinking even to this day. I mean, I, don't, I think he's having you know 
I don't think his money situation. I bet great. He's, he's living off Charlotte's money right now. And um, he's he's got some hospital bills coming up. Uh, he's very yeah. close to a card table on a sign. I am Ric Flair. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention. Sure. As they're going through all the highlights, there was one I can't remember who he was going back and forth with, but uh, the guy behind the mic was Paul Bearer. <laughs> And I just belly laughed at the fact that we know someone who just needs a little touch up of makeup and could definitely play that role like in a second. Telling you what, man, next Halloween we're doing it. No, uh, Paul Bearer used to have a talk segment called The Funeral Parlor. (laughs) And he would have people on to air their grievances. Man, that guy's facial contortions are just ridiculous. (laughs) Oh, May he rest in peace. Yeah, sorry about that. Sorry about that, everybody. R.I.P. So, all in all, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a it was a good thirty for thirty. Critical, critical. Uh, I guess not critical, but um, reviews have all been largely positive. But a lot of people say that Flair really held back some of the negative stuff, and that they, if they had wanted to, it could have taken a lot darker of a turn. And they and that they even felt like he was being a little bit dishonest as far as how he represented certain things. You know, maybe making himself look a little bit more like Ric Flair than just a really sad, depressed alcoholic yeah. that well, you know, doesn't really have much else to live for kind of a situation. I don't think he's gonna voluntarily just portray that. And I don't I mean, he almost died like two months ago. He may not know how much time he's got left. He didn't want to spend that time making himself look like a fool any more than he has to. Yeah. So from a production value standpoint, what did you guys think about the little animated spots they had in the show? <laughs> I thought it was... Did you think that was good or bad? I liked it. I didn't think it was bad. Yeah. I know I didn't mind it. No, I thought the whole thing was well done and I think is well received by, you know, people that remember him fondly or or whatever, um, or people who just watch those habitually. is I think it was just a well-done episode. I've watched some of those that I kind of was like, nah, yeah. there's not no, much they, to that. And, and, of course, you know, it's it's a subject matter where you have literally, I think that's the first literally of the show. Oh, I got one in real early oh, on okay. purpose. Um, just a huge library of footage, you know, where there's no shortage of footage um, well, to use of him. Well, that and they had two or three clips of uh, like college or pro football teams, like somebody oh, doing his speeches. Well, I believe your Houston Astros were uh, a big. I'm sorry. Yeah, you heard don't me. put that on me. They were a big. Uh, le- they highly leveraged the woo. They did. I well, thought now it was, I like this less. <laughs> I thought it was funny that, and of course. I don't know, I guess I didn't really think about it, but when they were commenting that he was kind of the first person to do that, I'm rich, I have all this stuff, like, flamboyant gimmick, you know, that now is pretty popular, like, with athletes and, you know, music artists and other things. Like, he was kind of, I guess, Ali was kind of flamboyant, but he wasn't so much money-wise. Flair was, like, the first one, and they talked about how that really, you know, a lot of people really got into that. That was kind of interesting. I never thought about him kind of being the pioneer of that. 
Yeah. And so much of that was totally lost to me when I was little, like we talked about. Now, it's just hilarious. I love it. Yeah, I wouldn't care when I was 11 that he had $600 shoes. I'm like, well, that's... <laughs> that, he, that he not only had, that he took off his Held feet up. to hold up to the camera yeah. to show that he had $600 shoes. So great. Yeah. Really, the, the only thing I didn't like about the way it was produced was the, um, the just the real fake shot of him standing in that ring with the smoke present day that they went to several times. It just seemed just... With all the great footage you have that's real, it seems so cheap to have like to fake that up for, you know, yeah, imagery on the show. I just feel like there's there's was better things they could have used. But other than that, yeah, I honestly like I would have I would have loved it to have been longer and even really got more into some of the wrestling stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I just think they're you know, just just from a pure highlight reel standpoint, there's just so much there. Do you think uh there were several shots of him just kind of sitting down in a very cheap hotel room gym. Oh, Do you think man. he really worked out in there, or they just kind of here put some Michigan sweats <laughs> on and sit there and look sad? Man, I, I, you know, I mean, I guess they have to get it done somewhere. I mean, ask Point Break Dave. He's the, uh, <laughs> the hotel gym connoisseur lately. I am. Did you send Glenn that picture you sent me of the pull-up machine? I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> I tweeted it. Why didn't you take a couple of the panels out of the ceiling? <laughs> no, I thought about that, but it's not like the like our office has those. This this roof is there's not little panels like you couldn't do it. Although that would be funny to take one out and just have my head going up into the ceiling. Especially if somebody walks in just to get some cardio and here's a guy with his head up in the ceiling. <laughs> so one other thing they didn't get into, which I mean I guess it probably only would have been interesting to people that are really into wrestling so maybe not the they're trying to get the wider 30 for 30 crowd but one thing that was, I always thought was iconic about uh, Flair is he was very big on as they say in the business getting color so basically blading your forehead to get blood and right. the fact that he had just like that like platinum white hair like it always looked so good in his matches because his whole hair would get red which you wouldn't see and you know other wrestlers with dark hair and yeah like some of his stuff where his whole head just turns all his hairs red it's kind of an iconic flair thing that they never got into just another perfect part of the bit indeed more than anything else so when do we get the charlotte flair 30 for 30 (laughs) we don't have to wait too long for that do we she need to crash. Like <laughs> I was gonna say she better start flying in some more planes. I'll tell you she this. She uh, single vehicle plane crash. She's a. That's too soon for that, pal. <laughs> she's a very very good wrestler. By far the best woman wrestler on the roster right now. What if she wrestled Danica? How would that go? Oh, Danica would kill her. You think so? Oh, yes, dude. You know, I went to. To the race this past Sunday, we we got down and uh, stood at the line for driver intros. So I was right there, like on the rail, as they all drove by. I drove by, walked by when they're introduced. There's no way Danica is any taller than that shelf right there. Yeah, no, she's like she's a small wonder, borderline. Yeah, little individual. Just easy there. That's just my quick racing ob- observation. All right, well. We're getting to the end of the show, but I want to close it out with one more Ric Flair anecdote. So 
This was a this was a famous Ric Flair story that was not included in the documentary, but one that's got a lot of fame. Actually, so as I was pulling this up, I noticed there was another one above it that that was actually equally as funny. But it's talking about um, Ric Flair, nineteen ninety one, flies from New York to Tokyo to wrestle one match. Then immediately after the match, gets on the plane from Tokyo and flies back to England for another match. And then after that match, flies back to Chicago. So he's traveling with The Undertaker in 1991. And he says they started drinking before they left for the flight to Tokyo. They drink all the way to Tokyo. He wrestles in Tokyo. They sleep for three hours, get back up, start drinking again. When he wakes up in Chicago, he's... (laughs) Sitting up here, he's laying across two seats in first class where, where the Undertaker had put him there with his arms folded and they're rest in peace. Like the Undertaker used to put people in the casket and he's on the plane by himself and everybody's gone. But uh, this is the uh, this is the famous Ric Flair story. So he and uh, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, are out uh, drinking Jack Daniels. And... Um, they're at an Italian restaurant and they stay there all night drinking. And then he blacks out. He wakes up the next morning <laughs> next to a woman that he had no idea who she was. And then he corrects it. says, actually, two women. And he can't find the Rolex he was wearing anywhere. <laughs> and the, he says to one of the women, he says, do you know where my Rolex is? And she says... Yeah, you threw it at a plate of spaghetti at the restaurant and said, don't worry about it, I've got 11, it's no big deal. <laughs> Woo! Wow. <laughs> God bless you, Ric Flair. First of all, we'll start today off by telling you, woo, it is Rolex time, Tony Blanchard. So don't be bringing on one of those Mickey Mouse watches and trying to impress the world. They like jet airplanes. They like long limousines. They like fine clothes. They like lovely ladies. And in Studio 54 a week ago, I tore them all down. 